What you are about to listen to was created with an artificial voice for the audiobook initiative. On Sermon Audio, there may be mispronunciations or occasional repetitions. To report a mistake, please email us at info at sermonaudio.com and include the sermon ID or title of the message and the time at which the error occurs. We will do our best to get it corrected for future listeners. Grace abounding to the chief of sinners, or brief relation of the exceeding mercy of God in Christ to his poor servant, John Bunyan. Bunyan attends the ministry of Mr. Gifford and becomes intensely earnest to understand the doctrines of the gospel. Part 2 About this time I took an opportunity to break my mind to an ancient Christian and told him all my case. I told him also that I was afraid that I had sinned the sin against the Holy Ghost, and he told me he thought so too. Here, therefore, I had but cold comfort. But, talking a little more with him, I found him, though a good man, a stranger to much combat with the devil. Wherefore, I went to God again as well as I could, for mercy still. Now, also, did the tempter begin to mock me in my misery, saying that, seeing I had thus parted with the Lord Jesus and provoked him to displeasure, who would have stood between my soul and the flame of devouring fire? There was now but one way, and that was to pray that God the Father would be the mediator betwixt his Son and me, that we might be reconciled again and that I might have that blessed benefit in him that his blessed saints enjoy. Then did that scripture seize upon my soul. He is of one mind, and who can turn him? Oh, I saw it was as easy to persuade him to make a new world, a new covenant or new Bible, besides that we have already, as to pray for such a thing. This was to persuade him that what he had done already was mere folly, and persuade with him to alter, yea, to disannul the whole way of salvation. And then would that saying rend my soul asunder, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now the most free and full and gracious words of the gospel were the greatest torment to me. Yea, nothing so afflicted me as the thoughts of Jesus Christ, the remembrance of a Savior, because I had cast him off, brought forth the villainy of my sin, and my loss by it to mind. Nothing did twinge my conscience like this. Every time that I thought of the Lord Jesus, of his grace, love, goodness, kindness, gentleness, meekness, death, blood, promises, and blessed exhortations, comforts and consolations, it went to my soul like a sword. For still, unto these my considerations of the Lord Jesus, these thoughts would make place for themselves in my heart. I, this is the Jesus, the loving Savior, the Son of God, whom thou hast parted with, whom you slighted, despised, and abused. This is the only Savior, the only Redeemer, the only one that could so love sinners as to wash them from their sins in his own most precious blood. But you have no part nor lot in this Jesus. You have put him from you. You have said in your heart, let him go if he will. Now, therefore, you are severed from him. You have severed yourself from him. 
Behold then his goodness, but yourself to be no partaker of it. Oh, thought I, what have I lost? What have I parted with? What have I disinherited my poor soul of? Oh, it is sad to be destroyed by the grace and mercy of God, to have the Lamb, the Savior, turn lion and destroyer. I also trembled, as I have said, at the sight of the saints of God, especially at those that greatly loved Him, and that made it their business to walk continually with Him in this world. For they did, both in their words, their carriages, and all their expressions of tenderness and fear to sin against their precious Savior, condemn, lay guilt upon, and also add continual affliction and shame unto my soul. The dread of them was upon me, and I trembled at God's Samuel's. Now, also the tempter began afresh to mock my soul another way, saying that Christ indeed did pity my case and was sorry for my loss. But for as much as I had sinned and transgressed as I had done, he could by no means help me nor save me from what I feared. For my sin was none of the nature of theirs, for whom he bled and died. Neither was it counted with those that were laid to his charge when he hanged on the tree. Therefore, unless he should come down from heaven and die on you for this sin, though indeed he did greatly pity me, yet I could have no benefit of him. These things may seem ridiculous to others, even as ridiculous as they were in themselves, but to me they were most tormenting cogitations. Every of them augmented my misery that Jesus Christ should have so much love as to pity me when he could not help me. Nor did I think that the reason why he could not help me was because his merits were weak or his grace and salvation spent on them already, but because his faithfulness to his threatening would not let him extend his mercy to me. Besides, I thought, as I have already hinted, that my sin was not within the bounds of that pardon that was wrapped up in a promise. And if not, then I knew assuredly that it was more easy for heaven and earth to pass away than for me to have eternal life. So that the ground of all these fears of mine did arise from a steadfast belief that I had of the stability of the holy word of God, and also from my being misinformed of the nature of my sin. But, oh, how this would add to my affliction, to conceit that I should be guilty of such a sin for which he did not die. These thoughts would so confound me, and imprison me, and tie me up from faith that I knew not what to do. But, oh, thought I, that he would come down again. Oh, that the work of man's redemption was yet to be done by Christ. How would I pray him and entreat him to count and reckon this sin amongst the rest for which he died? But this scripture would strike me down as dead, Christ being raised from the death dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Thus, by the strange and unusual assaults of the tempter, was my soul, like a broken vessel, driven as with the winds and tossed sometimes headlong into despair, sometimes upon the covenant of works, and sometimes to wish that the new covenant and the conditions thereof might, so far forth as I thought myself concerned, be turned another way and changed. 
but in all these I was but as those that justle against the rocks, more broken, scattered, and rent. Oh, the unthought of imaginations, frights, fears, and terrors that are affected by a thorough application of guilt yield into desperation. This is the man that hath his dwelling among the tombs with the dead, that is always crying out and cutting himself with stones. But I say all in vain. Desperation will not comfort him. The old covenant will not save him. Nay, heaven and earth shall pass away before one jot or tittle of the word and love grace shall fall or be removed. This I saw, this I felt, and under this I groaned. Yet this advantage I got thereby, namely a farther confirmation of the certainty of the way of salvation, and that the scriptures were the word of God. Oh, I cannot now express what then I saw and felt of the steadiness of Jesus Christ, the rock of man's salvation. What was done could not be undone, added to, nor altered. I saw, indeed, that sin might drive the soul beyond Christ, even the sin which is unpardonable. But woe to him that was so driven, for the word would shut him out. Thus was I always thinking whatever I did think or do. So one day I walked to a neighboring town, and sat down upon a settle in the street, and fell into a very deep pause about the most fearful state my sin had brought me to. And after long musing I lifted up my head, but methought I saw as if the sun that shineth in the heavens did grudge to give light, and as if the very stones in the street and tiles upon the houses did bend themselves against me. Methought that they all combined together to banish me out of the world. I was abhorred of them, and unfit to dwell among them, or be partaker of their benefits, because I had sinned against the Savior. Oh, how happy now was every creature over what I was! For they stood fast and kept their station, but I was gone and lost. Then breaking out in the bitterness of my soul, I said to myself with a grievous sigh, How can God comfort such a wretch as I? I had no sooner said it, but this returned upon me, as an echo doth answer a voice, This sin is not unto death, at which I was as if I had been raised out of a grave, and cried out again, Lord, how couldst thou find not such a word as this? For I was filled with admiration at the fitness, and also at the unexpectedness of the sentence, the fitness of the word, the rightness of the timing of it, the power and sweetness and light and glory that came with it also was marvelous to me to find. I was now for the time out of doubt as to that about which I so much was in doubt before. My fears before were that my sin was not pardonable and so that I had no right to pray, to repent, etc., or that if I did, it would be of no advantage or profit to me. But now, thought I, if this sin is not unto death, then it is pardonable. Therefore, from this I have encouragement to come to God, by Christ for mercy, to consider the promise of forgiveness as that which stands with open arms to receive me, as well as others. This, therefore, was a great easement to my mind, to wit, that my sin was pardonable, that it was not the sin unto death, 
none but those that know what my trouble by their own experience was, can tell what relief came to my soul by this consideration. It was a release to me from my former bonds and a shelter from my former storm. I see now to stand upon the same ground with other sinners and to have as good right to the word and prayer as any of them. Now I say I was in hopes that my sin was not unpardonable, but that there might be hopes for me to obtain forgiveness. But, oh, how Satan did now lay about him for to bring me down again. But he could by no means do it, neither this day nor the most part of the next, for this sentence stood like a mill-post at my back. Yet, towards the evening of the next day, I felt this word begin to leave me and to withdraw its supportation from me. And so I returned to my old fears again, but with a great deal of grudging and peevishness, for I feared the sorrow of despair. Nor could my faith no longer retain this word. But the next day at evening, being under many fears, I went to seek the Lord. And as I prayed, I cried, and my soul cried to him in these words, with strong cries, O Lord, I beseech thee, show me that thou hast loved me with everlasting love. I had no sooner said it, but with sweetness, this returned upon me as an echo or sounding again, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Now I went to bed at quiet. Also, when I awaked the next morning, it was fresh upon my soul, and I believed it. But yet the tempter left me not, for it could not be so little as an hundred times that he that day did labor to break my peace. Oh, the combats and conflicts that I did then meet with as I strove to hold by this word. That of Esau would fly in my face like to lightning. I should be sometimes up and down twenty times in an hour, yet God did bear me up and keep my heart upon this word, from which I had also for several days together very much sweetness and comfortable hopes of pardon. For thus it was made out to me, I love thee whilst thou wast committing this sin, I love thee before, I love thee still, and I will love thee forever. Yet I saw my sin most barbarous and a filthy crime, and could not but conclude, and that with great shame and astonishment, that I had horribly abused the Holy Son of God. Wherefore I felt my soul greatly to love and pity him, and my bowels to yearn towards him. For I saw he was still my friend, and did reward me good for evil. Yea, the love and affection that then did burn within to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did work at this time. Such a strong and hot desire of revengement upon myself for the abuse I had done unto him, that to speak as then I thought, had I had a thousand gallons of blood within my veins, I could freely then have spilt it all at the command and feet of this my Lord and Savior. And as I was thus in using and in my studies, considering how to love the Lord and to express my love to him, that saying came in upon me, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. These were good words to me, especially the latter part thereof. To wit, that there is forgiveness with the Lord, that he might be feared, that is, as then I understood it, that he might be loved and had in reverence. 
for it was thus made out to me that the great God did set so high an esteem upon the love of his poor creatures that rather than he would go without their love, he would pardon their transgressions. And now was that word fulfilled on me, and I was also refreshed by it. Then shall they be ashamed and confounded and never open their mouth any more because of their shame. When I am pacified toward them for all that they have done, said the Lord God. Thus was my soul at this time. And as I then did think forever, set at liberty from being again afflicted with my former guilt and amazement. But before many weeks were over, I began to despond again, fearing lest, notwithstanding all that I had enjoyed, that yet I might be deceived and destroyed at the last. For this consideration came strong into my mind, that whatever comfort and peace I thought I might have from the word of the promise of life, yet unless there could be found in my refreshment a concurrence and agreement in the scriptures, let me think what I will thereof, and hold it never so fast, I should find no such thing at the end, for the scripture cannot be broken. Now began my heart again to ache and fear I might meet with disappointment at the last. Wherefore I began, with all seriousness, to examine my former comfort and to consider whether one that had sinned as I have done might with confidence trust upon the faithfulness of God, laid down in those words by which I had been comforted and on which I had leaned myself. But now were brought those sayings to my mind. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. For if we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries, even as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now was the word of the gospel forced from my soul, so that no promise or encouragement was to be found in the Bible for me. And now would that saying work upon my spirit to afflict me, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy is other people. For I saw indeed there was cause of rejoicing for those that held to Jesus. But as for me, I had cut myself off by my transgressions and left myself neither foothold nor handhold amongst all the stays and props in the precious word of life. And truly I did now feel myself to sink into a gulf as an house whose foundation is destroyed. I did liken myself in this condition unto the case of a child that was fallen into a mill pit who, though it could make some shift to scrabble and sprawl in the water, Yet because it could find neither hold for hand nor foot, therefore at last it must die in that condition. So soon as this fresh assault had fastened on my soul, that scripture came into my heart. This is for many days, and indeed I found it was so, 
for I could not be delivered nor brought to peace again until well nigh two years and a half were completely finished. Wherefore these words, though in themselves they tended to discouragement, yet to me, who feared this condition would be eternal, they were at some times as an help and refreshment to me. For, thought I, many days are not, not forever, many days will have an end. Therefore, seeing I was to be afflicted, not a few, but many days, yet I was glad it was but for many days. Thus I say, I could recall myself sometimes and give myself a help, for as soon as ever the words came into my mind at first, I knew my trouble would be long. Yet this would be but sometimes, for I could not always think on this, nor ever be helped by it, though I did. Now, while these scriptures lay before me and laid sin anew at my door, that saying in the eighteenth of Luke, with others, did encourage me to prayer. Then the tempter again laid at me very sore, suggesting that neither the mercy of God nor yet the blood of Christ did at all concern me, nor could they help me for my sin. Therefore it was in vain to pray. Yet thought I, I will pray. But, said the tempter, your sin is unpardonable. Well, said I, I will pray. It is to no boot, said he. Yet, said I, I will pray. So I went to prayer to God. And while I was at prayer, I uttered words to this effect. Lord, Satan tells me that neither thy mercy nor Christ's blood is sufficient to save my soul. Lord, shall I honor thee most by believing thou wilt and canst, or him by believing thou neither wilt nor canst? Lord, I would fain honor thee by believing thou wilt and canst. And as I was thus before the Lord, that scripture fastened on my heart, O woman, great is thy faith, even as if one had clapped me on the back as I was on my knees before God. Yet I was not able to believe this, that this was a prayer of faith, till almost six months after, for I could not think that I had faith, or that there should be a word for me to act faith on. Therefore I should still be a sticking in the jaws of desperation, and went mourning up and down in a sad condition, crying, Is his mercy clean gone? Is his mercy clean gone forever? And I thought sometimes, even when I was groaning in these expressions, they did seem to make a question whether it was or no. Yet I greatly feared it was. There was nothing now that I longed for more than to be put out of doubt as to this thing in question. And as I was vehemently desiring to know if there was indeed hopes for me, these words came rolling into my mind. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be a favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Have he in anger shut up his tender mercies, and all the while they run in my mind, methought I had this still as the answer. It is a question whether he had or no. It may be he hath not. Yea, the interrogatory seemed to me to carry in it a sure affirmation that indeed he had not, nor would so cast off, but would be favorable. That is promised of not fail and that he had not forgotten to be gracious, nor would in anger shut up his tender mercy. 
something also there was upon my heart at the same time, which I now cannot call to mind, which with this text did sweeten my heart, and made me conclude that his mercy might not be quite gone, nor clean gone forever. At another time I remember I was again much under the question whether the blood of Christ was sufficient to save my soul, in which doubt I continued from morning till about seven or eight at night, and at last, when I was, as it were, quite worn out with fear, lest it should not lay hold on me, these words did sound suddenly within my heart, He is able. But methought this word able was spoke so loud unto me, it showed such a great word, it seemed to be writ in great letters, and gave such a jostle to my fear and doubt, I mean for the time it tarried with me, which was about a day, as I never had from that all my life, either before or after that. But one morning, when I was again at prayer and trembling under the fear of this, that no word of God could help me, that piece of a sentence darted in upon me, my grace is sufficient. At this methought I felt some stay, as if there might be hopes. But, oh, how good a thing it is for God to send his word. For about a fortnight before, I was looking on this very place, and then I thought it could not come near my soul with comfort. Therefore I threw down my book in a pet. Then I thought it was not large enough for me. No, not large enough. But now... It was as if it had arms of grace so wide that it could not only enclose me, but many more besides. By these words I was sustained, yet not without exceeding conflicts for the space of seven or eight weeks, for my peace would be in and out, sometimes twenty times a day. Comfort now, and trouble presently, peace now, and before I could go a furlong as full of fear and guilt as ever heart could hold, and this was not only now and then, but my whole seven weeks' experience. For this about the sufficiency of grace, and that of Esau's parting with his birthright, would be like a pair of scales within my mind. Sometimes one end would be uppermost, and sometimes again the other, according to which would be my peace or trouble. Therefore I still did pray to God that he would come in with this scripture more fully on my heart, to wit, that he would help me to apply the whole sentence, for as yet I could not, that he gave, I gathered, but further I could not go. For as yet it only helped me to hope there might be mercy for me, my grace is sufficient, and though it came no farther, it answered my former question. To wit, that there was hope, Yet because for thee was left out, I was not contented, but prayed to God for that also. Wherefore, one day as I was in a meeting of God's people, full of sadness and terror, for my fears again were strong upon me. And as I was now thinking, my soul is never the better, but my case most sad and fearful, these words did, with great power, suddenly break in upon me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee, my grace is sufficient for thee, three times together. And, oh, methought that every word is a mighty word unto me, as my and grace and sufficient and for thee. They were then and sometimes are still far bigger than others be. 
at which time my understanding was so enlightened that I was as though I had seen the Lord Jesus look down from heaven through the tiles upon me and direct these words unto me. This sent me mourning home. It broke my heart and filled me full of joy and laid me low as the dust. Only it stayed not long with me. I mean in this glory and refreshing comfort, yet it continued with me for several weeks and did encourage me to hope. But so soon as that powerful operation of it was taken off my heart, that other Abadi saw returned upon me as before. So my soul did hang as in a pair of scales again, sometimes up and sometimes down, now in peace and anon again in terror. Thus I went on for many weeks, sometimes comforted and sometimes tormented. And especially at some times my torment would be very sore, for all those scriptures forenamed in the Hebrews would be set before me as the only sentences that would keep me out of heaven. Then again I should begin to repent that, ever that thought went through me, I should also think thus with myself, why, how many scriptures are there against me? There are but three or four, and cannot God miss them, and save me for all them? Sometimes again I should think, oh, if it were not for these three or four words, now how might I be comforted? And I could hardly forbear at some times but to wish them out of the book. Then methought I should see as if both Peter and Paul and John and all the writers did look with scorn upon me and hold me in derision. And as if they said unto me, all our words are truth, one of as much force as another. It is not we that have cut you off, but you have cast away yourself. There is none of our sentences that you must take hold upon but these, and such as these. It is impossible. There remains no more sacrifice for sin. And it had been better for them not to have known the will of God than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. For the scriptures cannot be broken. These, as the elders of the city of refuge I saw, were to be the judges both of my case and me, while I stood with the avenger of blood at my heels, trembling at their gate for deliverance, also with a thousand fears and mistrusts, I doubted that they would shut me out forever. Thus was I confounded, not knowing what to do, nor how to be satisfied in this question, whether the scriptures could agree in the salvation of my soul. I quaked at the apostles, I knew their words were true, and that they must stand forever. And I remember one day as I was in diverse frames of spirit, and considering that these frames were still according to the nature of the several scriptures that came in upon my mind, if this of grace, then was I quiet, but if that of Esau, then tormented. Lord, thought I, if both these scriptures would meet in my heart at once, I wonder which of them would get the better of me. Some have thought I had a longing mind that they might come both together upon me. Yea, I desired of God they might. Well, about two or three days after, so they did indeed. They bolted both upon me at a time, and did work and struggle strangely in me for a while. At last that about Esau's birthright began to wax weak and withdraw and vanish, and this about the sufficiency of grace prevailed with peace and joy. 
And as I was in a muse about this thing, that scripture came home upon me, Mercy rejoiceth against judgment. This was a wonderment to me, yet truly I am apt to think it was of God. For the word of the law and wrath must give place to the word of life and grace. Because though the word of condemnation be glorious, yet the word of life and salvation doth far exceed in glory. Also that Moses and Elias must both vanish and leave Christ and his saints alone. This scripture did also most sweetly visit my soul. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Oh, the comfort that I have had from this world in no wise, as who should say by no means for no thing whatever he hath done. But Satan would greatly labor to pull this promise from me, telling of me that Christ did not mean me, and such as I, but sinners of a lower rank that had not done as I had done. But I should answer him again, Satan, here is in this word no such exception. But him that comes, him, any him, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And this I well remember still, that of all the slights that Satan used to take this scripture from me, yet he never did so much as put this question, but do you come aright? And I have thought the reason was because he thought I knew full well what coming aright was. For I saw that to come aright was to come as I was, a vile and ungodly sinner, and to cast myself at the feet of mercy, condemning myself for sin. If ever Satan and I did strive for any word of God in all my life, it was for this good word of Christ, he at one end and I at the other. Oh, what work did we make? It was for this in John, I say, that we did so tugged and strive. He pulled and I pulled. But God be praised, I got the better of him, I got some sweetness from it. But notwithstanding all these helps and blessed words of grace, yet that of Esau's selling of his birthright would still at times distress my conscience. For though I had been most sweetly comforted, and that but just before, yet when that came into my mind, it would make me fear again. I could not be quite rid thereof. It would every day be with me. Wherefore now I went another way to work, even to consider the nature of this blasphemous thought. I mean, if I should take the words at the largest and give them their own natural force and scope, even every word therein. So when I had thus considered, I found that if they were fairly taken, they would amount to this, that I had freely left the Lord Jesus Christ to his choice, whether he would be my Savior or no. For the wicked words were these, let him go if he will. Then that scripture gave me hope. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. O Lord, said I, but I have left thee. Then it answered again, but I will not leave thee. For this I thank God also. Yet I was grievously afraid he should, and found it exceeding hard to trust him. Seeing I had so offended him, I could have been exceeding glad that this thought had never befallen, for then I thought I could, with more ease and freedom abundance, have leaned upon his grace. I say it was with me, as it was with Joseph's brethren. The guilt of their own wickedness did often fill them with fears that their brother would at last despise them. But above all the scriptures that I yet did meet with, that in the twentieth of Joshua was the greatest comfort to me, which speaks of the slayer that was to flee for refuge. 
And if the avenger of blood pursue the slayer, then saith Moses, they that are the elders of the city of refuge shall not deliver him into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly, and hated him not aforetime. O oh, blessed be God for this word. I was convinced that I was the slayer, and that the avenger of blood pursued me, that I felt with great terror. Only now it remained that I inquire whether I have right to enter the city of refuge. So I found that he must not, who lay in wait to shed blood. It was not the willful murderer, but he who unwittingly did it, he who did unawares shed blood, not of spite or grudge or malice, he that shed it unwittingly, even he who did not hate his neighbor before. Wherefore thought verily I was the man that must enter, because I had smitten my neighbor unwittingly, and hated him not aforetime. I hated him not aforetime. No, I prayed unto him, was tender of sinning against him. Yea, and against this wicked temptation I had strove for a twelve-month before. Yea, and also when it did pass through my heart, it did it in spite of my teeth. Wherefore I thought I had right to enter this city, and the elders, which are the apostles, were not to deliver me up. This, therefore, was great comfort to me, and did give me much ground of hope. Yet being very critical, for my smart had made me that I knew not what ground was sure enough to bear me, I had one question that my soul did much desire to be resolved about, and that was whether it be possible for any soul that hath indeed sinned the unpardonable sin, yet after that to receive, though but the least true spiritual comfort from God through Christ, the which, after I had much considered, I found the answer was no, they could not, and that for these reasons, first, because those that have sinned that sin, they are debarred a share in the blood of Christ, and being shut out of that, they must needs be void of the least ground of hope, and so of spiritual comfort, for to such there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Secondly, because they are denied a share in the promise of life, they shall never be forgiven, neither in this world, neither in that which is to come. Thirdly, the Son of God excludes them also from a share in his blessed intercession, being forever ashamed to own them both before his Holy Father and the blessed angels in heaven. When I had with much deliberation considered of this matter, and could not but conclude that the Lord had comforted me, and that too after this my wicked sin, then methought, I durst venture to come nigh unto those most fearful and terrible scriptures with which all this while I had been so greatly affrighted, and on which indeed, before I durst scarce cast mine eye, yea, had much ado an hundred times to forbear wishing of them out of the Bible. For I thought they would destroy me, but now I say I began to take some measure of encouragement to come close to them, to read them and consider them, and to weigh their scope and tendency, the which when I began to do I found their visage changed, for they looked not so grimly on me as before I thought they did. And first I came to the sixth of the Hebrews, yet trembling for fear it should strike me, which when I had considered, I found that the falling there intended was a falling quite away. That is, as I conceived, 
a falling from, and an absolute denial of the gospel of remission of sins by Christ. For from them the apostle begins his argument. Secondly, I found that this falling away must be openly, even in the view of the world, even so as to put Christ to an open shame. Thirdly, I found that those he there intended were forever shut up of God, both in blindness, hardness, and impenitency. It is impossible they should be renewed again unto repentance. By all these particulars I found, to God's everlasting praise, my sin was not the sin in this place intended. First I confessed I was fallen, but not fallen away, that is, from the profession of faith in Jesus unto eternal life. Secondly, I confessed that I had put Jesus Christ to shame by my sin, but not to open shame. I did not deny him before men, nor condemn him as a fruitless one before the world. Thirdly, nor did I find that God had shut me up or denied me to come, though I found it hard work indeed to come to him by sorrow and repentance. Blessed be God for unsearchable grace. Then I considered that in the tenth of the Hebrews and found that the willful sin there mentioned is not every willful sin, but that which doth throw off Christ and then his commandments too. Secondly, that must also be done openly before two or three witnesses, to answer that of the law. Thirdly, this sin cannot be committed, but with great despite done to the Spirit of grace, despising both the dissuasions from that sin and the persuasions to the contrary. But the Lord knows, though this my sin was devilish, yet it did not amount to these. And as touching that in the twelfth of the Hebrews about Esau selling his birthright, Though this was that which killed me and stood like a spear against me, yet now I did consider first that his was not a hasty thought against the continual labor of his mind, but a thought consented to and put in practice likewise, and that too after some deliberation. Secondly, it was a public and open action, even before his brother, if not before many more. This made his sin of a far more heinous nature than otherwise it would have been. Thirdly, he continued to slight his birthright. He did eat and drink and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Yea, twenty years after, he was found to despise it still. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. Now is touching this, that Esau sought a place of repentance. Thus I thought first, this was not for the birthright, but for the blessing. This is clear from the apostle, and is distinguished by Esau himself. He took away my birthright, that is, formally, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. Secondly now, this being thus considered, I came again to the apostle, to see what might be the mind of God in a New Testament style and sense, concerning Esau's sin, and so far as I could conceive, this was the mind of God that the birthright signified regeneration and the blessing the eternal inheritance. For so the apostle seems to hint, lest there be any profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, as if he should say, lest there be any person amongst you that shall cast off all those blessed beginnings of God that at present are upon him in order to a new birth, lest they become as Esau even be rejected afterwards when they would inherit the blessing. 
For many there are who, in the day of grace and mercy, despise those things which are indeed the birthright to heaven, who yet, when the deciding day appears, will cry as loud as Esau, Lord, Lord, open to us. But then as Isaac would not repent, no more will God the Father, but will say, I have blessed these, yea, and they shall be blessed. But as for you, depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. When I had thus considered these scriptures, and found that thus to understand them was not against, but according to other scriptures, this still added further to my encouragement and comfort, and also gave a great blow to that objection, to wit that the scripture could not agree in the salvation of my soul. And now remained only the hinder part of the tempest, for the thunder was gone beyond me, only some drops did still remain, that now and then would fall upon me. But because my former frights and anguish were very sore and deep, therefore it did oft befall me still, as it befalleth those that have been scared with fire. I thought every voice was fire, fire, every little touch would hurt my tender conscience. But one day as I was passing in the field, and that too with some dashes on my conscience, fearing lest yet all was not right, suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul, Thy righteousness is in heaven. And me fought with all, I saw, with the eyes of my soul. Jesus Christ at God's right hand, there, I say, is my righteousness, so that wherever I was or whatever I was a-doing, God could not say of me, He wants my righteousness, for that was just before Him. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ Himself, the same yesterday and today and forever. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my affliction in irons. My temptations also fled away. So that from that time those dreadful scriptures of God left off to trouble me. Now went I also home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. So when I came home, I looked to see if I could find that sentence, Thy righteousness is in heaven but could not find such a saying, wherefore my heart began to sink again, only that was brought to my remembrance. He of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. By this word I saw the other sentence true. For by this scripture I saw that the man Christ Jesus, as he is distinct from us, as touching his bodily presence, so he is our righteousness and sanctification before God. Here, therefore, I lived for some time, very sweetly at peace with God through Christ. All me thought, Christ, Christ, there was nothing but Christ that was before my eyes. I was not now only for looking upon this and the other benefits of Christ apart as of his blood, burial, or resurrection, but considered him as a whole Christ as he in whom all these and all other his virtues, relations, offices, and operations met together, and that as he sat on the right hand of God in heaven, 
It was glorious to me to see his exaltation and the worth and prevalency of all his benefits, and that because of this, now I could look from myself to him and should reckon that all those graces of God that now were green in me were yet but like those cracked groats and fourpence half-pennies that rich men carry in their purses when their gold is in their trunks at home. Oh, I saw my gold was in my trunk at home. In Christ, my Lord and Savior. Now Christ was all. All my wisdom, all my righteousness, all my sanctification, and all my redemption. Further, the Lord did also lead me into the mystery of union with the Son of God, that I was joined to him, that I was flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And now is that a sweet word to me in Ephesians 5.30. By this also was my faith in him, as my righteousness the more confirmed to me. For if he and I were one, then his righteousness was mine, his merits mine, his victory also mine. Now could I see myself in heaven and earth at once, in heaven by my Christ, by my head, by my righteousness and life, though on earth by my body or person. Now I saw Christ Jesus was looked on of God, and should also be looked upon by us, as that common or public person, in whom all the whole body of his elect are always to be considered and reckoned that we fulfilled the law by him, died by him, rose from the dead by him, got the victory over sin, death, the devil, and hell by him. When he died, we died, and so of his resurrection. Thy dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise, saith he. And again after two days will he revive us. In the third day you will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight which is now fulfilled by the sitting down of the Son of Man on the right hand of the majesty in the heavens, according to that to the Ephesians. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ah, these blessed considerations and scriptures, with many other of a like nature, were in those days made to spangle in mine eyes, so that I have cause to say, Praise ye the Lord! Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Having thus, in few words, given you a taste of the sorrow and affliction that my soul went under by the guilt and terror that this my wicked thought did lay me under, and having given you also a touch of my deliverance therefrom, and of the sweet and blessed comfort that I met with afterwards, which comfort dwelt about a twelve-month with my heart, to my unspeakable admiration, I will now, God willing, before I proceed any further, give you in a word or two, what, as I conceive, was the cause of this temptation, and also after that, what advantage, at the last, it became unto my soul. For the causes I conceive they were principally two, of which two also I was deeply convinced all the time this trouble lay upon me. The first was, for that I did not, when I was delivered from the temptation that went before, still pray to God to keep me from temptations that were to come. For though, 
As I can say in truth, my soul was much in prayer before this trial seized me. Yet then I prayed only, or at the most principally, for the removal of present troubles and for fresh discoveries of his love in Christ, which I saw afterwards was not enough to do. I also should have prayed that the great God would keep me from the evil that was to come. Of this I was made deeply sensible by the prayer of holy David, who, when he was under present mercy, yet prayed that God would hold him back from sin and temptation to come. Then saith he, Shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression? By this very word was I galled and condemned, quite through this long temptation. That also was another word that did much condemn me for my folly. In the neglect of this duty, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. This I had not done, and therefore was suffered thus to sin and fall. According to what is written, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And truly this very thing is to this day of such weight and awe upon me, that I dare not, when I come before the Lord, go off my knees, until I entreat him for help and mercy against the temptations that are to come. And I do beseech thee, reader, that thou learn to beware of my negligence by the affliction that for this thing I did for days and months and years with sorrow undergo. Another cause of this temptation was that I had tempted God, and on this manner did I do it. Upon a time my wife was great with child, and before her full time was come, her pangs, as of a woman in travail, were fierce and strong upon her, even as if she would have immediately fallen in labor and been delivered of an untimely birth. Now at this very time it was that I had been so strongly tempted to question the being of God, Wherefore, as my wife lay crying by me, I said, But with all secrecy imaginable, even thinking in my heart, Lord, if thou wilt now remove this sad affliction from my wife, and cause that she be troubled no more therewith this night, and now were her pangs just upon her, then I shall know that thou canst discern the most secret thoughts of the heart. Had no sooner said it in my heart, but her pangs were taken from her, and she was cast into a deep sleep, and so she continued till morning. At this I greatly marveled, not knowing what to think. But after I had been awake a good while and heard her cry no more, I fell to sleeping also. So when I waked in the morning it came upon me again, even what I had said in my heart the last night, and how the Lord had showed me that he knew my secret thoughts which was a great astonishment unto me for several weeks after. Well, about a year and a half afterwards, that wicked sinful thought, of which I have spoken before, went through my wicked heart, even this thought, let Christ go if he will. So when I was fallen under guilt for this, the remembrance of my other thought, and of the effect thereof, would also come upon me with this retort, which also carried rebuke along with it. Now you may see that God doth know the most secret thoughts of the heart. And with this, that of the passages that were betwixt the Lord and his servant Gideon fell upon my spirit. 
How, because that Gideon tempted God with his fleece, both wet and dry, when he should have believed and ventured upon his word, therefore the Lord did afterwards so try him, as to send him against an innumerable company of enemies, and that too, as to outward appearance, without any strength or help. Thus he served me, and that justly, for I should have believed his word, and not have put an if upon the all-seeingness of God. And now to show you something of the advantages that I also gained by this temptation, and first by this I was made continually to possess in my soul a very wonderful sense both of the being and glory of God, and of his beloved Son. In the temptation that went before, my soul was perplexed with unbelief, blasphemy, hardness of heart, questions about the being of God, Christ the truth of the word, and certainty of the world to come. I say, then, I was greatly assaulted and tormented with atheism. But now the case was otherwise. Now was God and Christ continually before my face, though not in a way of comfort, but in a way of exceeding dread and terror. The glory of the holiness of God did at this time break me to pieces, and the bowels and compassion of Christ did break me as on the wheel. For I could not consider him but as a lost and rejected Christ, the remembrance of which was as the continual breaking of my bones. The scriptures now also were wonderful things unto me. I saw that the truth and verity of them were the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Those that the scriptures favor they must inherit bliss, but those that they oppose and condemn must perish evermore. Oh, this word, for the scripture cannot be broken, would rend the call of my heart, and so would that other, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now I saw the apostles to be the elders of the city of refuge. Those that they were to receive in were received to life, but those that they shut out were to be slain by the avenger of blood. Oh, one sentence of the scripture did more afflict and terrify my mind. I mean those sentences that stood against me as sometimes I thought they every one did. More, I say, than an army of forty thousand men that might have come against me. Woe be to him against whom the scriptures bend themselves. By this temptation I was made to see more into the nature of the promises than ever I was before. For I lying now trembling under the mighty hand of God, continually torn and rent by the thunderings of his justice, this made me, with careful heart and watchful eye, with great seriousness, to turn over every leaf, and with much diligence, mixed with trembling, to consider every sentence, together with its natural force and latitude. By this temptation also I was greatly beaten off my former foolish practice, of putting by the word of promise when it came into my mind. For now, though I could not suck that comfort and sweetness from the promises I had done at other times, yea, like to a man is sinking, I should catch at all I saw. Formerly I thought I might not meddle with the promise unless I felt its comfort, but now it was no time thus to do. The avenger of blood too hardly did pursue me. Now therefore I was glad to catch at that word which yet I feared I had no ground or right to own. 
and even to leap into the bosom of that promise that yet I feared did shut its heart against me. Now also I should labor to take the word as God had laid it down without restraining the natural force of one syllable thereof. But what did I now see in that blessed sixth of John, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out? Now I began to consider with myself that God had a bigger mouth to speak with than I had heart to conceive with. I thought also with myself that he spake not his words in haste or in unadvised heat, but with infinite wisdom and judgment and in very truth and faithfulness. Should in these days, often in my greatest agonies, even flounce towards the promise, as the horses do towards sound ground that yet stick in the mire, concluding, though as one almost bereft of his wits through fear, on this I will rest and stay, and leave the fulfilling of it to the God of heaven that made it. Oh, many a pole hath my heart had with Satan for that blessed sixth of John. I did not now as at other times look principally for comfort, though, oh, how welcome would it have been unto me! But now a word, a word to lean a weary soul upon, that I might not sink forever, it was that I hunted for. Yea, often when I have been making to the promise, I have seen as if the Lord would refuse my soul forever. I was often as if I had run upon the pikes, and as if the Lord had thrust at me to keep me from him as with a flaming sword. Then I should think of Esther, who went to petition the king, contrary to the law. I thought also of Ben-Hadad's servants, who went with ropes upon their heads to their enemies for mercy. The woman of Canaan also that would not be daunted, though called dog by Christ, and the man that went to borrow bread at midnight, were great encouragements unto me. Never saw those heights and depths in grace and love and mercy as I saw after this temptation. Great sins do draw out great grace, and where guilt is most terrible and fierce, there the mercy of God in Christ, when showed to the soul, appears most high and mighty. When Job had passed through his captivity, he had twice as much as he had before. Blessed be God for Jesus Christ our Lord. Many other things I might here make observation of, but I would be brief, and therefore shall at this time omit them. And do pray God that my harms may make others fear to offend, lest they also be made to bear the iron yoke as I did. I had two or three times, at or about my deliverance from this temptation, such strange apprehensions of the grace of God that I could hardly bear up under it. It was so out of measure amazing when I thought it could reach me that I do think if that sense of it had abode long upon me, it would have made me incapable for business.